Episode 123, Super Julie Braun, CEO of Super Purposes. I love this question so much. Uh, My favorite mistake is that I did not have a plan. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. For links, show notes, and more, go to markgraben.com slash mistake123. As always, thanks for listening, and now on with the show. Our guest today is Super Julie Braun, or SJ. Um, she is the founder and CEO of an organization, a company called Super Purposes. They are a career coaching and advisement program built for the 21st century and for today's job market. Her company helps people more than 16,000 Uh, to date, helps people get their career and salary that they deserve regardless of their challenges. So some of the groups they work with in particular, and we'll we'll talk about this later in the episode, include veterans, stay-at-home parents, immigrants, uh, people from the LGBTQ community, people with addictions or alcoholism, um, the formerly incarcerated people with disabilities and more. So her website, superpurposes.com. And before I tell you a little bit more about SJ, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Oh, great, Mark. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm sure we're going to have a super episode, right? <laughs> yeah, always, so, regardless. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so earlier in her career, SJ um, quickly rose in corporate jobs, leading creative teams for companies including Victoria's Secret, MTV, Nike, Estee Lauder, and Carter's Children's Wear. Um, she lists, uh, I thought a nice glimpse into who you are, SJ. Um, she lists her passions on her LinkedIn profile as animals, the environment, living the digital nomad lifestyle, minimalism, Sudoku, sobriety, and cupcakes. That's that's in no particular. <laughs> is that a ranking or that's just that's just a list? It's just the list. And as I'm hearing it, I'm kind of like, what's wrong with her? <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, I could say where minimalism and a digital nomad lifestyle would be a helpful combination. Yes, yes, because I all of my belongings fit into a suitcase and a backpack. So everything I own fits into a suitcase and a backpack. And whenever people meet me, they always think, well, what about that house you're in? Or, you know, they always see me in different places. I take care of other people's homes. So I'm on whatever their opposite schedule is. I'm in their other home taking care of that. Sometimes there's a dog or a cat involved as well, but it's a way that I've been able to live, um, very frugally mm-hmm. um, and still feel kind of posh at the same time. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure, you know, people talk to you about that. They probably also asked you, as I'm going to ask you, why Super Julie Brown? I assume that's not a given birth name. It, you would be correct. Um, <laughs> when I started uh, one of my first businesses, superinterns.com before Super Purposes, Uh, We had a lot of interns on the team and they would, there was one in particular who would always call me super Julie. And at first it was really cute. 
you know, and then, and then I was like, gosh, you know, I always feel special whenever she calls me that. And then the co-founder, my co-founder said to me, you really are super Julie. You should consider changing your name. And um, so it kind of stuck. And my real, real fly friends just call me Super J. Super J. So yeah, but you have to be super fly for that, for for that one. Otherwise I go by SJ. It's a lot easier to stand up and live up to. All right. Well, thanks SJ. Um, So before we, you know, there's so many things that um, we're we're, going to talk about later on, but as we normally do here, I'm going to ask you my favorite question. What's your favorite mistake? I love this question so much. Uh, my favorite mistake is that I did not have a plan, zero plan. I left corporate America. I kind of left in a huff, to be perfectly frank. Um, I was working at Carter's Children's Wear. Uh, we just had taken the company public and we had doubled our revenue from $500 million to over a billion dollars. It was a magical time at the company. And I kept thinking, I'm going to get a big bonus. I'm going to be part of the in crowd. And to my surprise, or maybe not surprise, that didn't happen. So when I left Carter's Children's Wear, I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder. I was thinking this is totally unfair. Why is it that all the guys, all the suits in the room, Why did they all get a golden parachute? Why wasn't I part of that? And needless to say, I left in a huff. I actually transitioned over a few months. But um, when I left, I thought, now what? What am I going to do? And I spent the next year really without a plan. I didn't have a revenue plan. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to make money. I did a lot of crazy things. Uh, I produced an off-Broadway play. Um, I uh, did a lot of really creative kind of artistic things. And then finally I landed and I thought, well, I guess maybe I'm just going to be consulting people as a marketing consultant. And Mark, within the first week, I would wake up every morning, three o'clock in the morning, staring at the ceiling and saying to myself, I'm going to fail because I didn't have a plan. I didn't know how I was going to make money. I didn't know who my clients were going to be. I didn't know where I was going to uh, uh, get hired. And I even remember, so this is part of the first mistake or my favorite mistake, I remember making a phone call to a potential new client, someone who needed marketing help in their business. And I wasn't expecting him to answer the phone. I thought I was just going to leave a message. But he answered the phone. And he started asking me questions. And I didn't know any answers. I started stammering and stumbling over my words. I I sped up really fast. I was quiet. I was just drenched in sweat. And when I hung up the phone, my first thought was, I hope he doesn't remember my name. I was just horrified. 
I spent the next year to two years figuring it out, how to work without endless supplies of money and people and resources. And I started figuring out and I started getting a couple clients here and there. And from that, uh, I met a woman who ended up being my co-founder at superinterns.com. And she said, I think you should really be creating an intern business. And I was like, really? Because I wanted to be known for marketing. And she said, I think you should be known for the interns that are doing a lot of work with you. So we started superinterns.com and superinterns turned into super purposes. And all of those, that favorite mistake has brought me to where I am today. I never in my wildest dreams thought that I would be teaching people about their careers because careers are kind of bland and boring. You know, it's kind of, nobody goes, oh, yay, I get to interview today. So, um, but that's where this has taken me. And I have to tell you, I absolutely love what I do. So that's That's my favorite mistake. No plan. (laughs) So do you think if, I mean, so it sounds like it was, it was a semi huff, like you just, maybe you decided in a, in a, in a moment, I'm going to leave, but you didn't stomp out, you transitioned out. But do you think, I mean, were were you trying to get back into another corporate job? If you had had more of a plan, you no. I mean, what? I was kind of burned out. Okay. Yeah. I was kind of, you know, I had been on that hamster wheel for a really long time. And I kept thinking, what am I going to do? I'm going to get another corporate job. I'm going to have to pack up and move across the country, find a new place, find new friends. You know, it was always that was my life. I spent a lot of years on a plane, a lot of years moving for a company. And I just have fallen out of love making money for somebody else. And I started thinking, there's got to be a way that I can actually help individuals. And how can I do that? What's the, what's the closest way of helping people? Well, when we were working with interns at superinterns.com, every single one of them would tell me, I'm doing this internship so I can get the experience I need so I can get the job I want. And I just heard it over and over and over again. It was always the reason. And I started thinking, what if the focus becomes helping people get the job? So, yeah, I didn't actually stomp out. I guess mm-hmm. in my in my oh. movie, <laughs> in my movie in my head, I stomp out. Sure. I actually had like a three month time period to help yeah. them. Uh, you know, but, together. Yeah. So, I mean, looking back at it, I mean, it's kind of a hypothetical, but had they given you the bonus that you thought you deserved, would you have stayed in the corporate world? Do you think you're happier now, even though there were some challenges of getting from here to there, from there to here? I am so glad you asked this question. What a smarty, smarty pants you are. Um. I probably would have stayed. I probably would have stayed. I probably would have put myself through another five or 10 years of corporate torture. Um, But I, it ended up being a very, very happy accident. I know one thing about myself is that I'm not the smartest person. 
Uh, but I rarely do I give up. And I think that actually has served me well, the tenacity that once when I get an idea, I'm like, okay, I'm doing this. And that really has helped me um, in doing my own business and being an entrepreneur. Well, see, I just as a quick aside, like to me, I think smarter people realize they're not super smart and are willing to admit it when there's some humility involved. It's the people who are always telling you how smart they are, where it makes me wonder what they're compensating for. Yeah. So I don't, don't, don't don't sell yourself short, SJ. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to have to come to you for therapy. (laughs) So in, in the work you do now, I mean, how much do you directly kind of get to apply this, this reflection that you had of you didn't have a plan? How much of it is a matter of helping people with the planners, it just depend on the circumstances of each of those 16,000 plus individuals. It is astonishing that it really is broken down into a cupcake recipe. I love cupcakes for a lot of reasons, <laughs> but probably my number one reason is because I use a cupcake to illustrate the same thing about career. So by the way, what's your favorite cupcake? Do you have a favorite flavor? Um, I'm not a cupcake enthusiast. I wouldn't turn okay. one down if okay. offered to me. Um, I <laughs> okay. would say maybe, I don't know. I'll say a, a, a chocolate cupcake with a good buttercream frosting. Oh, that sounds good. Okay. So let's pretend that you are just dying for that cupcake. <laughs> um, the first thing you would do if, if I said, okay, we're going to make this now. You would go to Google and you would do research on finding a very good recipe. People try to do the same thing with their careers. What happens is they're barraged, like all of us, with millions of pages or millions of sites to go to. And it's, there's not really a good like one-stop shop recipe. Um, At least I haven't been able to find one, and I've been looking for a while. So I was thinking, well, what if we actually did the recipe? We kind of knocked it out from everything like, where do you start? Where do I start? I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. You know, I'm doing what everyone else is doing, filling out online applications. Nobody ever calls me. So where do you start? And what are all the steps, like the recipe, to come to conclusion to have that delicious cupcake ready to eat. And that's really negotiating multiple job offers. We figured out how to put this recipe together in 12 weeks. So from the time that somebody starts working with us or takes our online course, they should have a job, one job offer, maybe two or three or five in a matter of 12 weeks. For some people, they just need a little tune-up. They just need a little, like they already have kind of sort of have their own really good recipe, but they just need a couple things corrected and they could have a job offer in as little as 21 days. So it really is dependent upon the person. But I think the thing that we do that is very different is it is everything from getting your LinkedIn profile ready to creating relationships with the companies where you want to work to how to interview in a way that makes you memorable and makes people think of you as a colleague right away. 
If that's something that most people don't know how to do, they go into an interview and they act like it's an interrogation. And what you want to do is just have a conversation with the human being. That will get them thinking, oof, I really like her. I could I see think, working with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think, I mean, maybe she plays softball and she could be on our softball team. <laughs> you know, they start thinking about you in a different way then, oh boy, here we go. I'm going to ask them questions. They're going to answer the questions and wait for the next question. That is the worst way to interview. So we take people through this journey. We actually have, we're, we're, we have a docu-series that we're doing where we're, find, we're following five individuals on their career journey. And it's called From Ground Zero to Career Superhero. Um, all five people are all di- different walks of life. One guy is formerly incarcerated. Um, one person is a, a veteran who's been out of work for 10 years. And we take them on this journey in 12 weeks with the hopes that they will all have the job that they and the salary that they deserve. Yeah. So it, you know, there's so much in the news about you know, a record number of Americans quitting their jobs. You know, it was 4.4 million. Last month uh, in September, mm-hmm. with the, the latest data, um, there's talk of a lot of um, shortages, difficulties in hiring people. Is it easier to find a job these days or is the challenge finding the right job and the right fit? Is that still what, what's what's different these days, if anything? Well, I call it the employee revolution because the power is now in the employee's hands. And this will be the case for the next decade or two. Um, if not forever, I hope. I think it is probably it's probably even more challenging to get a job right now, only from the fact that whenever you are submitting an application that is going through what's called an applicant tracking system, and it's only seen by a machine. So everybody who's working on their resume and making it really pretty and fun and fantastic, <laughs> no human being is going to see that until you actually have the interview. And then maybe, maybe they'll print it out. Maybe they'll pull it up on a screen. Um, What makes it more challenging right now is if that's the way you're going to get a job is going through that application system, you and everybody else is doing the same thing. The way to really get a job is developing relationships. It's about 80% of all jobs are not even posted online. So just think about that. People are spending 100% of their time filling out online applications for only 20% of the jobs. There's just not enough human resource people in the world to really manage all of that. And this is going to become, I think, a, a, a bigger challenge. But if you can develop a relationship if you are the sort of person who can talk to maybe the at the grocery store, the person who's checking you out, you know, bagging your bagging your groceries, if you can have a quick dialogue with them, then you are going to do very well at getting a job fast. Mm-hmm. When it comes to let's say uh, hiring quickly, finding good candidates, finding a good employer, employees, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, in an era of employee shortages, uh, what, how would you make the case? Why do companies need to expand the pool from which they might normally recruit and hire? For example, a lot of companies would maybe traditionally just completely rule out anybody who had ever been incarcerated. Um, what, what, what are you seeing as some of the benefits or the opportunities for companies to take a second look at groups they would have previously excluded? Excellent. Love this question. Um, I think. As we know, the Fortune 500 companies have already been playing in diversity, equity, and inclusion for at least five years, and some of them even 10 or 20 years. What that means is the more diverse the workforce is for a company, the stronger it makes the company. And we know the Fortune 500s have adopted this thinking, and even the Fortune 5000s companies have also adopted that. So if the best of the best are already proving that having that inclusivity, really inviting everybody into the company makes you a better company, then it doesn't take, you know, an Einstein to figure out that startups should be considering that and should be practicing that. I think as we become a more humane Society, we should probably call it humane resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we'll start thinking about people who've been incarcerated as an opportunity of very, very creative folks. On my team, we have four people that I'm aware of that were formerly incarcerated. Um, one person in particular is incredibly clever and crafty. They always have an idea, a workaround, uh, here's how we can solve the problem. And so I think if we can look into ourselves and, and, and see that everyone's human, everyone's made mistakes, I've made hundreds, um, especially being a sober alcoholic, um, you know, I just kind of think if I've made so many mistakes, why wouldn't mm-hmm. I give other people a chance yeah. as well? Yeah. Well, I'm just curious, um, you know, thinking of where hiring managers or companies would struggle policy-wise. So if we look at other dimensions of diversity, um, skin color, race, sexual orientation, gender mm-hmm. identity, um, learning disabilities, you would say, well, none of those involve choices. Whereas, you know, somebody, you know, it, would, it might be easier for someone to say, well, we, we shouldn't discriminate against those factors. But do people, do companies look at somebody who's made um, serious mistakes in in an unfair way, or do you, how how do we kind of hope, help open up um, discussion or, or possibilities for people? It it really is a societal challenge because I I think we um, well first of all when I think of people who are behind bars, it's just the people that got caught, or maybe it's just the people who got prosecuted. And so there's a lot of people who are behind bars that really don't deserve to even be there. The, the, and there's a lot of inequity, I think, is maybe what you're pointing 100%. to. hundred percent. And who gets arrested or what, what groups get arrested and convicted. Yeah. Yes, for sure. And um, so, you know, when it comes to companies kind of looking at the liability that comes with hiring somebody, uh, I think that you have to be cautious. Thankfully. Being in this uh, digital 
remote virtual world, there is some safety that comes within that. There's also some areas of opportunity for more criminal behavior to happen. But I think that that could happen with any group of people. Um, At the bottom line, I think, is if we don't figure out incarceration and giving people a chance, they're just all going to go back to jail again. How do people rebuild their lives without a job? It is so impossible. And we don't have really even the systems in place outside of parole, Mm -hmm. outside of maybe, um, I know I I used to live in Connecticut and there's a group there that has this wonderful, I always think of it as like a pie. I don't know why I'm always talking about food, but here I am, Mark. (laughs) Um, And each slice of the pie would be a support system to people who were formerly incarcerated. It was something that was really unique. An internship was one of the pieces of that pie. And I think when people come out, we have to support them and get them out of whatever got them in to begin with so that they don't go back because it ends up being a a really um, devastating thing to our society. And um, my my next two guests, this is coincidental. I, I didn't intentionally line up our conversation. My next two episodes, uh, my next two guests, well, I, it was intentional and I'm putting them together in a week. Uh, Brent Cassidy and Kevin Foster um, both um, served uh, about four years in prison for um, fraud and, and uh, you know, financial white collar um, crimes. And, and so that topic comes up um, in, in the next couple of episodes. Because, um, you know, we, we, ha- we have to figure that out. There are so many people who have been uh, incarcerated. That's, that's, uh, oh, that's a whole deep dive that uh, I don't know much about, but would be an interesting conversation in and of itself. But, um, but SJ, I want to ask about, you know, some other, you know, particular groups where you may have some tailored approaches or advice. Um, you know, are there particular, oh, I'm, so what are, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are, what, what are the, particular challenges and things people can do if they're, um, if, if they're trans or non-gender conforming applicants, um, what, 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 um, how do you, how do you help? What are some of the particular yeah. things? Another area, um, can, uh, just, can, I don't know why I'm stumbling over it. Just ask the question, give you space. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, trans and gender non-conforming folks, They have a challenge. Discrimination is one of the top challenges, but also, you know, through their transition, how do you perhaps go from male to female or male, female to they, them? That is also another type of transition. What we really tap on is um, when you get on LinkedIn, we recommend everyone get on LinkedIn. I'm not sponsored by LinkedIn. I just use their product. I love them. I think they're doing a good thing. I think they're a good company. Uh, When people get on LinkedIn, the very first thing for them to do is not to necessarily come out loud and proud yet, but instead create a private profile and get comfortable with their persona that they're moving to. And then the next thing is when they do go public for them to invite in every person 
who already honors and loves them. So that means getting really connected with anybody in the LGBTQIA community, um, looking for allies like us, super purposes, and to invite them to become their connections. Once when you have that really solid foundation of these are the people, the companies, the organizations that already support me, you're on your way to getting a job working for a company that's going to honor, love, and support you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is very different from thinking, well, who's hiring right now? Mm-hmm. You know, you have to go through a different door and define what resonates with you, what sort of company do you want to work for and that deserves to work with you? Yeah. And I think, so I appreciate how you said that. I mean, my quick reflection on, I sometimes stammer through a question, but I think, you know, in asking that question, you know, I would like to think I respect and love and honor people for for who they are and don't discriminate. I don't mock people. Unfortunately, on the one extreme, you see people, um, it's, it, it, it makes me sad when people mock the sharing of pronouns or the use of pronouns mm-hmm. or, but then at the other extreme, like I, I, there's still, I think part of my reflection, a certain discomfort where I'm afraid of using in, an incorrect term um, out happens of all the time, maybe just out of ignorance or, or discomfort. So I, I guilty of that, but trying to yeah. work through that. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. That takes a lot of courage to, to say that. And I actually, I have a lot of friends in in the trans and and gender nonconforming community because we developed an online course for them because nobody was really doing anything for that group of people. And I learned a lot in meeting and building and creating that. I have to say, whenever people come from a heartfelt place of, well, I don't know if this is going to sound weird or not, please enlighten me. Um, they love to be asked. It's when they are told it's not so great. So, but thank you, Mark, for sharing that because I think a lot of people have the same feelings that you have. And I'm, I make blunders every day and, um, you know, it's just part of what part of, I'm not that smart. Do you not understand? Well, there's, there's not smart. And then there's just not knowing other people's, um, experiences and, you know, discomfort doesn't like discomfort around, like I'm trying to do right. So there's discomfort and pressure to try to do right. It's not a discomfort with trans people, but I think a lot of us, I I don't, I haven't had a close uh, working relationship with somebody who identifies as trans. So I think a lot of people just don't have any experiences one way or another. So we want to do, know the, we want to do right that we know of. Yeah. That, you know, Fair of. Enough, that I, I mean, know there of. are a lot of people in the world. One of my dearest friends, Mac McGregor, um, he owns a company called pa- positive masculinity. If he walked into any room, people would just be man. They would just be male guy. And he is a transgender man, formerly a woman. And um, it's just astonishing. So I think we just don't know what we don't know. Um, But I really, really appreciate you saying this because this is a place where lots of people have uncomfortable feelings and it just takes a whole lot of courage 
to, to speak about that. You're kind of my hero today. Well, well, thanks. Um, you're my, yeah, I mean, you know, you're, you're, um, you know, I admire what you're doing and, and helping Thank so you. many different people in um, their job and career challenges. Um, another, another, you know, another group with a different set of challenges, um, military spouses mm. who are moving every couple of years and what, what, what sort of programs or approaches uh, are, are helpful for them? Maybe uh, hopefully in a more virtual world. Does that, does that help? You nailed it. Um, okay. When we first put together our mill spouse, how to get a job in 12 week program, uh, that was one of the first things because I found out that the average military spouse moves every 18 months. I never knew that. I always thought, oh, they they'd move to 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 a base or you know move move close someplace, and they would be there for three to five years. 18 months is the average. And so what happens is every time that they move. Uh, they bring all that discrimination with them because nobody wants to hire somebody who's going to be leaving in 18 months. But thank goodness there is a silver lining with being in a pandemic because it's gotten all of us to understand that we can work virtually. We can work in this remote world. So we created the online course with remote work being the primary thing. And that kind of takes out that layer of discrimination. Now, um, our mil- military spouses are not a protected class when it comes to hiring discrimination. Well, like every protected, I just put my fingers up in quotes, right? <laughs> sure. Um, protected. I mean, we're all protected until we get to reality. And any of us can walk in and maybe we don't have the right hair color or skin color. We're not wearing the right fashion uh, and be interviewed and they can say, yeah, you're not qualified. But in their mind, they're thinking, well, I just didn't like the way she looked. And so, um, you know, there are those biases that, you know, just happen. So um I don't know how to solve that problem because I just think humans are the most unpredictable uh, species. Uh, You know, I think I know somebody and then they'll do something and I'll go, I did not see that happening. Wow. So, um, but military spouses, I have a huge love for them. Next time, here's something I would ask your audience to do. Next time that somebody says they're a military spouse, Thank them for yeah. their service mm-hmm. Th- yeah, because they are the unsung heroes of the military folks who get thanked a lot, but, you know, they also have some challenges too, coming back from, from wherever they uh, did their service. Yeah. So what I hear you saying SJ is, you know, there, there, there are certain groups where, where companies can't say, I'm not hiring you because you're pregnant. They can't say, I'm not hiring you because of all these other factors. Unfortunately, they they I, what I hear you saying is they might not be so direct as to say, I'm not going to hire you because you're a military spouse and I know you're moving soon. But if they did, that might not bring any sort of legal ramifications. I think there would be and legal ramifications. There would be. Okay. If if, and, if they in fact, you know, had some some way to document that. Mm-hmm. Um so yes, they, you know, that, that, that would be a problem. 
Um, but I just don't think many people would say that, you know, they're yeah. going to use the, uh, well, we chose somebody that was a better sure. fit. A better fit is always a good way to get out mm. of, we don't like you. Yeah. And, and I wonder when you talked earlier, SJ, about uh, 80% of jobs not being posted, going through networking, and d- does that lead to more bias than going through the depersonalized, computer-filtered application process? I see you, oh. nodding, your, I see you nodding your head for those who are just listening. Yes, smarty smart pants again. <laughs> that is very true. Um, that's why the door that we always teach people to go through is the relationship door. So for example, Mark, if I wanted to work for your company, one of the very first things I would do is I would connect with you and anyone else who worked with you on LinkedIn. I would make that first step of, Hey, I want to get connected. And then I would try to schedule a meeting with you where, just 15 minutes, I would just say, hey, I want to humanize LinkedIn. So instead of just kind of racking up more connections, let's actually get to know each other. And let me see if I can help you and your business, or you can help me in what I'm doing. And when you make those connections, you may not have a job or a thought about me today, but in a couple of weeks, you might turn around and go, oh my gosh, I have the person for the job, but let me pick yeah. up the phone and call SJ. And yeah. so I hear is um, digging a little deeper and, and forming a deeper connection than yeah. we are connected. Yes. See that first sure. degree connection and your connection count go up, go jump in. Is it still good advice um, to, you know, to, to, to network and build relationships when you don't really need anything? in advance of an eventual uh, career transition? I think so. I think some people um, will always wait until things are dire before they will do something. But similar, like, like I behave a lot different now that I'm 19 or 20 months into the pandemic. Uh, when I go grocery shopping, I buy like double everything just because I don't want to have to go to the grocery store, you know, twice as much. And so I'm more thoughtful about how I do things. I'm more precautious or maybe even anticipating what happens if things turn. I think to have that same thinking in your career is very smart. And I think the more connections you have, the more opportunities you're going to get. I was just talking this morning to a woman who is creating her own network um, that's going to be on Apple TV. And, you know, she's asked me, would your company like to be some content creators for us? If I hadn't met her with her, I would never hear that opportunity. So I think, you know, you want to put yourself out there. You want to open up doors, especially if you're, um, you know, you're, you've got a creative uh, mind. You want to think about all the different things that you can get your hands into. It makes life a whole lot more interesting. Yeah. So final question for you, SJ. And again, our, our guest is uh, Super Julie Braun. Um, superpurposes.com is uh, her website and her company. When people are, as you're coaching people, they're going through a job search. Inevitably, as, as you said earlier, and we talk about all the time here, we all make mistakes. 
What, what do you say to people about mistakes they might make in an in interview or in their job search of, of how to best bounce back from that or learn from it? Yeah. Um, good for you. Uh, we got that over with now. You won't be making that mistake again. And let's practice. And I just kind of get them right off of it and get back on the horse. It happens all the time. and. I don't know about you, Mark, but I've made some hideous mistakes during interviews. I mean, horrible mistakes. And then, of course, later on, I'm kind of kicking myself and saying, oh, how were you not prepared? Or, you know, why did you say that? And there is that kind of downtime where we have to have the feelings. I'm very much into go ahead and cry. Eat your Ben and Jerry's. Um, you know, watch Netflix over the weekend, whatever you want to do that's self-care, please t- do that. And on Monday, we're going back and we're going to start interviewing again. So we give people time to have the feelings, heal, mm. and then we move on. Yeah. It sounds like the, the this, this isn't something we've talked about with other guests, but um, you're making me think of like, if there were such a thing as the stages of mistake grief, grief, the mistake, but you know, I've had other guests who talk about finding the balance of like, you've got to reflect, but don't dwell on it, like learn, but then move forward. Some of us are better or we can get better at finding that balance perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I think the muddling in the mistake instead make your mess, your message. So when you get to the next thing, you can actually say, well, here, I, I just have to share with you. Here's what I did at my last interview. So I'm going to make sure I'm not going to do that today. And people will be charmed and will be, you know, thinking, oh my goodness, this person is so different. People want to hire people that are genuine, heartfelt, unique, different, just being yourself. Sometimes bringing that to an interview will make you stand out from everyone else. But I, I I love to not muddle. Don't muddle too long. That never serves you. Yeah. Well, thank you, SJ, for that. What you talk about there with job interviews also applies to podcast interviews. So thank you for being yourself. Thank you for being Aww. unique and engaging and um, fun to talk with here today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much and have a super day. Well, thank you. So um, our guest, our super guest today, Super Julie Braun, SJ on superpurposes.com. Thanks. Thanks again. Thank you. Again, thanks to SJ for being uh, such a great guest today. For more information about her links and more, go to markgraben.com slash mistake one, two, three. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.